0: Hey, you guys, I am Cynthia Beaudry, and welcome to the Peace of My Mind podcast, P E A C E. In the last episode, I spoke about grief and suffering, and as I've been processing what I shared, I realized that I still have some things to say about that topic. Like I mentioned, this has been a long time struggle and theme for me, and God has been so faithful to walk me through this process of what it would look like to have my pain be productive. And what it would look like to have fellowship and intimacy with him in and through suffering. So I s- feel like I still have some more to say about it. Last episode, I read from one of my favorite stories, and it was an illustration of how we could thank God in the midst of suffering. For Corey Ten Boom, it was fleas in a concentration camp. And even though there was like no way she could ever imagine to see God's goodness in and through fleas, it turns out that God was using those fleas to keep their barracks as a safe place And then this would allow Corey and the other women to read the word and have worship services boldly and freely. So if you haven't listened to the last episode, go back to it so you can hear the full story. It's such a good story. I also used suffering and grief interchangeably in the last episode. And they can be both experienced at the same time in certain situations, but there actually is a distinction between the two. So here's what I want to do. For this episode, I want to talk about the differences between suffering and grief. I feel like that's an important thing to talk about. I also want to give you examples from my own life and also I want to give you practical tips as to how you can best love someone who's grieving and we did talk a little bit about that last time with the weep with those who weep exhortation but we can flesh that out a little bit more today. As always I just want to encourage you and I am just so glad that you're here. I guess I would define grief mostly as a real or even perceived loss of love item or person And as I mentioned before, it doesn't have to be an actual death of a person, but it could be a death of a career or a dream or position, a season of life. We grieve when we have to let things go. And it's especially traumatic when we have no say in the letting go. But suffering doesn't have to include loss. Suffering can be being persecuted, being afflicted, being made powerless. Suffering can be a disease, a mental ailment. Psalm 147.3 is a perfect example of the distinction that I'm trying to make. It says, he heals the brokenhearted, he binds up their wounds. To me, in this verse, brokenhearted is grief, and wounds can be a literal injury that needs to be bandaged. I'm so grateful that however we encounter our pain, whether through loss or injury, we can also encounter God who is able to heal and bring comfort. Let me share with you what this has looked like for me. Instances in my life where I've experienced grief versus suffering. Like I mentioned, I had three moms. Because of my birth mom's drug use, my grandmother and her partner raised me. And both of those women, they did an amazing job to provide, to care for me, to make up for the deficit that my mom had left. And I am so grateful for that. I was very close to my grandmother. I didn't see her as my grandmother Because she had raised me and invested in me all those years, I saw her as my mom. In 2007, she got very sick, and I remember praying and asking the Lord about it. You see, she had gotten sick before many times, actually. I had nicknamed her at one point Lazarus, because she would be on the brink of death, and somehow she always managed to bounce back. However, in 2007, when she got sick that time, I just felt in my heart to inquire of the Lord to see if she was indeed going to pass this time? And the reason I asked, one, is because the secret of the Lord is with those who fear him. And even though that doesn't apply all across the board to every circumstance, God has been so faithful many, many times to communicate to my heart very important matters. Another reason why I asked him was because I lived in another state. Logistically, I didn't want to make arrangements if she was just going to pull another Lazarus on us. That would take time and money and time off work. And it was going to be a big strain for me financially. So I went to inquire of the Lord about whether or not this was an urgent matter concerning my grandmother. And I opened up my Bible and this is what he said to me. John 14, Jesus comforts his disciples. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You trust in God, trust also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place that I'm going. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Do you get what he was putting down? I sure did. My father's house is being prepared, he says. Have peace. And then he says, He's taking us to be with him. Have peace. Here is a passage about heaven, and Jesus is speaking comfort to his disciples about the life hereafter. He couldn't have answered my inquiry more clearly. So I hopped on a plane, and 24 hours later, she died next to me. Let me just stop right here for one moment and just say something that's on my heart. Because, you know, as I'm talking um, and recalling my experiences, I just begin to be reminded again afresh of the undeniable evidence that Jesus is the one true living God, that he is alive, that he's active, that he is intimate, that he draws near to us when we draw near to him, that his loving kindness leads us into repentance. And I see so many Christians fall away, somewhere along the line, they let doubt just take root in their heart. They stop gathering regularly with like-minded believers. They stop spending one-on-one time with him. You know, Job says something like this. He says, when I was in my prime, the friendship of God was upon my tent. Another translation says, the friendship of God was felt in my home. And was is the word that I want to highlight because some of you the friendship of God was in your home, but it's not today. It's not now. And so I don't know what I ha- I have to do or how I can plead or beg or pray, exhort. I don't know how, but I just, I want, I so desperately want you to invite the friendship of God back into your homes. I I want you to invite the friendship of God back into your hearts because in my experience, there is nothing greater and sweeter than being friends with him okay and rant you guys it's just that I'm I'm awestruck I mean because you did you hear my story I go to God and I say God is my grandmother gonna die this time we've had so many close calls and I need to be prepared and I need to prepare both logistically and emotionally and then he answers me and he says Cynthia take comfort have peace I am bringing her to my father's house where I've prepared for her. And because he spoke that to me, I was able to take practical steps to be by her side right before she died. How very kind of God. He is real. After she died, because we were so close, the void she left was really deep. I experienced one of my deepest cases of grief. It was a huge loss. My one true mom, my source of security in a life that was riddled with insecurity, she was now gone, and I was really, really sad about it. And during that time, I didn't grieve completely well. There were some instances where my pain drove me to dysfunction. I have a tattoo that I regret to prove it. And also during that time, I encountered many well-meaning Christians that thought they were being gracious, but in all honesty were causing more harm than good. Which leads me to want to share some advice. What do you say and do when you see someone in grief? And what do you not say and do to that person? Because as the church, we are the first responders to people in pain. And we should administer his comfort in excellence. We should embody empathy in the best possible way. So here are some of the best and worst things to say to someone who is grieving. This is from grief.com. So I want to run down the list of things you don't say. And then I'll go over the list of things you should say. Don't say, at least she lived a long life. Many people die young. Or he's in a better place. She brought this on herself. There is a reason for everything. Aren't you over him yet? You can have another child one day. She was such a good person. God wanted her to be with him. Don't say, be strong, or I know exactly how you feel. Don't say those things. They're cringy, they're full of bad theology, and they're not really empathetic. But instead say these, I am so sorry for your loss. I wish I had the right words, but just know that I care. I don't know how you feel, but I'm here to help in any way that I can. I'm thinking and I'm praying for you a lot in this season. I'm just a phone call away. I'm usually up early or late if you need anything. We all need help in times like this. I'm here for you. And sometimes the best responses aren't even vocalized. You can respond with a hug and just remain silent. Remember we talked about weeping with those who weep? And the best thing to always do is to ask the Holy Spirit, what is weeping with those who weep look like in this situation? How can I help carry their burdens? And you can even ask the person, I don't know what to say or do. Please tell me what you're needing. I want to do whatever I can to support you in this. Even though you haven't fixed their pain, they can see how thoughtful and genuine your responses are, and that can really minister deeply to them. Empathy is a powerful tool for healing. Feeling seen, feeling known, feeling heard can really redeem our pain in profound ways. So what about my suffering? I've got a story for that too. In 2010, three months before my wedding, I got sick and how the sickness manifested was on my skin. Not just on my skin, but in the most vulnerable, sensitive areas of my skin. And none of the doctors were able to offer any solutions for my new sickness. And it was a very stressful time. Basically, I had to enter into covenant marriage with a skin affliction, and I was so incredibly angry and frustrated and disappointed. I had been celibate and had waited for a long time to share my body with someone else under the blessing of God. And now that I was finally able to, you mean to tell me that my privates are going to be ugly and riddled with something that I feel extremely insecure about and self-conscious? It was also painful as well. And no, I'm not talking about an STD. I'm talking about an autoimmune disease. So I was angry, and I was angry at God. The irony in this, having to present my body very flawed to someone else, it was humbling. And in this season, I suffered in my body, and I suffered in my walk because I was angry with God. I felt like his favor had been removed from me. When God was really teaching me that the presence of trials and afflictions do not mean the absence of his love and favor, but still it felt like it. God needed to sift my heart and he needed to remove any conditional love that I had towards him. Would I love and serve a God who I felt was responsible for my body to be diseased? It was hard. I suffered. And I wrestled with God over that for the first two years of my marriage. Eventually, the doctors said that it was an incurable disease, but that I could manage it with medications. I just had to be on medications for the rest of my life. So after praying for two years for healing, I got my relief through Western medicine. I still have the condition, but it's controlled. And I'm very grateful because it's pretty miserable. But in my suffering, God was doing something. Besides uprooting conditional love that was on my own terms, he was using suffering as a catalyst for deeper commitment in my faith of him. There was a sanctifying work that was occurring within me. There was a self-esteem work that was occurring within me. You see, Brian was not at all fazed by my skin. He didn't like that I was in pain, but I was more than a body to him. I was soul and spirit with flesh on. The outward man perishes day by day, but the inner man is being strengthened and renewed and sanctified. This is what's noble about suffering. And then he says to us to not lose heart, that even though we're wasting away, our light and momentary troubles, they achieve for us an eternal glory that far outweighs any suffering that we can endure here on earth. When things start to go awry, this is when our true view of God is revealed. Suffering is a litmus test to inform us of what we really believe about God. Is he good only when things are good? Or is he good, period? Suffering also informs us of our love and relationship to him. Do we love him when things are good? Or do we love him, period? No matter the conditions. See, our greatest problem isn't cancer or skin disease or heart attacks or depression. Our greatest problem is that we are wayward and that our perspectives on Him are wayward too. And God will use anything and everything to write His character in our lives. Suffering comes in different packages and different sizes of packages. Whatever you're suffering today may be minor, maybe a traffic jam. And it could be major, like a terminal illness or anything and everything in between. But in each suffering, we have the choice of allowing God to use our lives as a witness to him. I want to end by reading something that I journaled in 2013. Like I said, this has been a longstanding issue that God has been addressing in my life. It's called Sinclair Ferguson on Suffering. And he writes, In God's workshop in this world, suffering is the raw material out of which glory is forged. And he's talking about First Peter This prospect of future glory has been a great consolation to believers throughout the ages. But Peter is saying more than that. Glory belongs not only to the there and then, but it's also a part of the here and now. We get a glimpse of this sometimes in older Christians who have seen trials. We see that there's a grace in them that eludes definition. It's etched into their lives from beyond. A touch of glory of the future seems to already clothe them in the present one. Peter's bottom line is this, don't be surprised by suffering. Jesus was crucified by this world. To be Christian means to be identified with him. Paul also said that he bore in his body the marks of Jesus. So perhaps we should ask, are you a marked woman? Are you a marked man? Thank you for letting me share a piece of my mind with you on suffering, P-E-A-C-E. I hope that you are encouraged. I'm praying for you. If you are a marked man or you are a marked woman, let me know. I want to celebrate our scars of suffering together. God bless you and talk to you soon.